0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey, guys. So today's episode is brought to you by Sengcaster. And I remember back in the day where I was looking at putting together SengCaster. I was looking for a solution that would really help me in putting things together. And essentially, this is what allowed me to bring deal makers to life. I mean, basically, Sendcaster, what it is, is an all-in-one solution where you just send the link to the person that you're looking to interview. Essentially, they would plug in their computer with their video, with the audio, and then basically you are good to go. You would just piece everything together, give it to your audio engineer, or even edit it yourself, and you are off to the races. Now. If you're looking at getting into podcasting, you should definitely check Sendcaster out. And you could also get a 30% discount. And this is a discount code that you will be able to redeem by going into SEN, And that is CSN Zebra, forward slash deal makers and then number zero. And lastly, you know, I was very much blown away when I found out that investing in wine has been one of the best-kept secrets amongst the ultra-wealthy. And this is now not the case anymore. You know, I came across this solution, which is called VinoVest, and they are a great, great solution that allows you to diversify investing by implementing or including wines into your portfolio. I mean, take a look at this. Wine has one-third of the volatility of the stock market and yet it has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized revenues. So it's a really good way to diversify your portfolio. And you could also get two months of free investing by just going into the CEN, and that is CSN Zebra, E-N dot A-I forward slash deal makers and by just going there you will be able to redeem your discount. All righty hello everyone and welcome to the deal maker show. So today we have a exciting entrepreneur and I think that we're gonna learn once again, you know, going from a uh, being in the military to uh becoming an entrepreneur. You know, there's so many people that, as you all probably remember, that have been in the military and that then all of a sudden they become entrepreneurs, that level of discipline. But I think that we're going to learn today, you know, going from breakdown to to breakthrough, going from a, a epic failure to an epic success and you name it. So I think that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Cesar Jimenez. Welcome to the show.
1: Wow. well, Alejandro, thank you for having me. I I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: So let's do a little of a walk through memory lane, Cesar. I mean, obviously the uh, background and the roots are very much uh, from a Spanish-speaking place, obviously Puerto Rico, because Cesar. The way that I say it in Spanish is Cesar Jimenez, right? And uh, it's a, it's very much a Spanish in that regard. But but you were uh, really uh, raised in in New York, so. Tell us about your upbringings growing up.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, I was actually born in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. I was raised in New York until I was uh, graduated high school and then right from high school, I left New York and went right into the. US Navy.
0: So what got you into the Navy? What was the uh, trigger?
1: I mean, honestly, I needed the discipline. I needed to uh, I wasn't much of a, a highly academic disciplined um, kid growing up. I was more of an athlete. The military was intriguing me. It was an opportunity to I went to the recruiter's office I saw the different uh the different branches. I saw the Navy you could travel a little bit so I said you know what let's let's pick the Navy and signed up Then I
0: surprised my parents right after that and then and then how how were you present to discipline what was the what was the before and after
1: oh tremendous i mean it was uh in the military the one thing that I, that I learned really quickly there's no no in the military whatever they tell you to do you must do there's no negotiating there's no anything you just get it done and you can't just quit. That's the number one thing, right? You have to make it work. You know, you're in a contract and, uh, you know, getting a dishonorable discharge is, is like having a felony record, right? So you learn, you adapt and, you know, to be successful, you, you have to go above and beyond. And I think those type of things that they instilled in me really helped me, in, you know, in entrepreneurship and just in business and just being a really good teammate and overall and, and
0: employee as well. And you were you were shipped to San Diego and then from there deployed. I mean, what were some of the places that you went with the Navy?
1: Oh, that was great. That was such a good opportunity from a kid from Brooklyn. I was uh, stationed in San Diego. I was actually kind of upset about that when I received the orders because I wanted everything in the East Coast to be close to home. But and then when I got to San Diego, I couldn't believe how awesome it is and the weather. And when you grow up in New York in the cold and then you move to a beautiful place like San Diego, you learn. That wow, this is a different life. So I absolutely loved it. But then I was actually deployed, uh, you know, on the USS Carl Vinson, which is a nuclear carrier, to the first Persian Gulf uh, War. We were on called Desert Watch, and um, during that, during that tour, it was about a nine month tour. You know, I got to go to Hawaii. We went through all of the Orient, all of Asia, Japan, Singapore, Thailand, Philippines. You name it. Uh, spent some time in golf, um, UA, you know, United Air Mats. you know, when it wasn't what it was today, we were there as well. And on the way back, uh, back home after the deployment, we stopped in um, Australia, which was an amazing, you know, country to visit, unbelievable hospitality. And then we also stopped in a country that I never heard in my life growing up was a country called Tasmania, of all places, which was another great opportunity that, you know, you don't even heard of going or vacation to. But it was a great opportunity to visit all those countries and cultures.
0: So in 94 is when it's time to put an end to the Navy and you decide to to switch up the chapter and you move to Florida. So what happened, you know, after moving to Florida? My move, I moved. I, I
1: got my papers and I got out the service. I literally took a flight right to Miami. Uh, my, my family, my immediate family, my mother and my father, they actually moved here when my father retired out of the New York City uh, police department. And um, you know, I immediately thought I was gonna go to school, wind up getting a job. I actually went to go sign up at a gym and they asked me, he said, you know, I know you work out, you would like to would you like to would you like a job? Versus I just went to go get a membership, started there and um, you know, started there on, on a cash basis, making five bucks an hour cleaning machines, and and then I quickly found out that I learned how to do some sales because I knew how to build some relationships, I guess, and wind up getting to sales. Uh, through Gold's Gym in
0: uh, in South Florida, and that's kind of like the start of, of my sales career there. And then from sales to recruiting. So, how was that process of getting into IT staffing?
1: Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, I actually fell. Like I tell people, we we say this a lot. You don't really go to recruiter school. You don't really go to staffing universities, right? So they don't really teach that in universities. Staffing kind of finds you. And I just happened to be uh, that night. I you know how I fell into it. I, I happened to taken out. Uh, a client of mine in the gym that was actually referring me a lot of clients to sign up as a membership and wind up running into this gentleman named Tony Beeman, who I will never forget. I always give him credits anytime I can. And, um, you know, he uh, worked for this company called Aerotech and he was a director. And we were all hanging out that night. And I had, you know, we we're just all getting along. He said, You guys got to come work for us. So my friend got the job first and he referred me in. But I actually interviewed quite a few times. I actually interviewed like eight times before they said yes. And the lady that actually um, believed in me and gave me an opportunity because there was a couple, there was several no's along the way in that interview process, was a lady named Cindy Lackey, who I still give her credit to this day. She didn't, she changed my life that day, and um, and what my career is today. So I always, you know, being twenty five years in this business, I always give her credit for giving me the shot because if she didn't give me a shot. I don't know if I, you know, it. you know, I don't know if I'd be in this business. And it's a business that I really love.
0: And the first entrepreneurial gig came about in two thousand and four. So what was the cause behind that? What what triggered that?
1: So I, I worked for this company, Tech Systems, for quite some time. I, you know, a great learning ground. Um, and I wound up being a, you know, director of the, the, mark, the Miami market uh, for them. But what happens is, you know, as anything else, you get a little older, you have some children, you start figuring out that you can actually do this stuff yourself. And I always had this passion of saying, you know what, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, you know, why not? Why not me? Why not, you know, take a risk and try something. Right. So I wound up meeting, uh, you know, two guys along the way. And we actually came together in 2004 and started a first staffing organization from 2004 to 2007, the three of us, I mean, we felt like we couldn't make a mistake. Honestly, we were, we were, it was explosive growth. I mean, it was great. It was, it was a great time. Um, it was a good time in the business. And then, you know, unfortunately what happened during that time i would say 2000 the summer of 2008 is when you know obviously the you know financial infrastructure of the united states you know took a a massive turn and you know us being that age and being novices and entrepreneur and you know like nothing could go wrong everything went wrong and a lot of the things we thought we were doing right fundamentally we're doing wrong right but i promise you though uh we we were like we had the best intentions, right? We had the best intentions, you know, we were doubling down when we should have been cutting back. We were going to ride through this, you know, we want to take care of people. We didn't make any layoffs. And, you know, it was just a lot of rookie mistakes, but a lot of tough lessons, like epic failure, man. Just like a lot of tough lessons learned.
0: I can hear you. I can hear you there. And and as they say, you either succeed or you learn. So in this case, what did you learn?
1: Oh, the biggest thing I learned was, um, everything can go wrong. <laughs> that was the biggest one I learned. I was very humbled. You know, Is uh, I guess, lack of a better word, very embarrassing, you know, being in a market where, you know, you, you have a lot of pride and, you know, you kind of, you know, you have to learn how to deal with failure. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned. And that really helped me. And it kind of taught me what you need to do to make adjustments and really can't get caught up with thinking about all the failure you just went through. You got to think about you when you're when you go insolvent and you you go through that type of failure, you have those those aha moments or you have those moments that you're like, I should have, could have, would have done this. Well, I had all that. I was just writing stuff down left and right. Man, I, now I felt like it, it gave me the confidence to say, you know what, let's give this another run, but I'm going to do it differently this time. Because one thing that I was pushing for passionately with my partners is I said, we have to move to an employee record business. We have to move to this model. Can really help a staffing organization because you outsource you know outsourcing is is a you know is strategic it allows you to focus on you know things that you're supposed to focus on like business development it gives you the bandwidth and the infrastructure you need in order to really focus on deliver for your clients and your workers right in the staffing game
0: and in that case, I mean I'm sure that here it is you know the all of a sudden the business doesn't work as you had hoped. And you literally left there with no equity and nothing. I mean, it was like starting all over again. I mean, obviously dealing with the failures and initiatives, you know, is fine. You just take a different, you know, uh, a path uh, and test it again. But here you are, you know, with nothing. I mean, you are talking about dealing with failure. How do you deal with failure? What, what was that process for you like?
1: I appreciate you asking that because um, I'm not afraid to talk about that kind of stuff. You know, it was difficult, very difficult. I mean, uh, you know, you, you your health issues, you know, you deal with, um, you know, insomnia, you know, you're embarrassed, you know, have a lot of pride. You know, the thing about it, I'm, a, I'm a Latino man that's and very prideful and and aggressive and, and, and want to get things done and, and just couldn't, was almost helpless at the point. And it was difficult financially. You know, we, we made you know, we didn't have any money, period. I mean, it was rough. I mean, even like to the point where I'm not afraid to say, like, you know, you know, we had to prioritize what we had to pay at the house and we had to make a tremendous amount of concessions and a lot of a lot of embarrassing moments. And then you really realize who's there for you. And family was number one. I can count on my fingers who was there. And uh, my father-in-law, unfortunately, passed uh, last year. And he was one of the first people in my house making sure that we had everything we need and the kids were taken care of. And my family and my wife, who's just a, a rock. You know, there just supporting no matter what and just doing what she has to do to make sure that, you know, that she supports me to make sure that, you know, what round two will be better. You know, didn't make me feel bad about failing. And that was the big thing that helped a lot. And then my number one thing that I, you know, I, I attribute to is faith. It brought me closer to faith, you know, because you have no, when you have nowhere else to go and then you learn really quietly what, you know, it built my relationship closer to, you know, and built my faith tremendously. And I really kind of attribute everything that the success and a lot of things that we go through, and a lot of things that, you know, I, I put in his hands because it does. I'm not afraid anymore because it can't get that bad. You know, we just got to make adjustments and and continue moving forward.
0: And when you are dealing with a dark uh, moment like that or or one of those chapters that are a little bit more blurry, you know, it's 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 kind of tough to really gain visibility, to really understand what the next chapter is going to look like. So. What was that journey like? At what point did you see clearly that the path to follow was to build ProSource IT?
1: You know, I, you know, I, I kind of saw it right before I resigned and, and gave up everything. I said, this is the only thing I know how to do. You know, I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I felt like, man, if I just didn't do, if we didn't, if we would have did this, it would have been so much better. So I kind of, I kind of, that, that clarity came really early. The challenge for me was just that it was, you know, getting it started, right. And and getting through the, you know, the, the, the mess of a partnership agreement and kind of, you know, making sure that you do everything the right way. and And that's why I left with nothing. I said, look, I don't want a thing. You do whatever you want. I gave up every single share. I just want my name. I just want to be able to have my reputation. That's it. That was the challenging part. But, and then. That, you know, the clear thing is I had the plan. I knew that I was going to move to an EOR model and the minute and I had clients already that, you know, basically, you know, your clients become your friends and they become relationships and they want you to do well. And they assured me that, you know, if if I'm able to deliver, that they'll give me an opportunity to do business. And that's all I can ever ask for. And that's what gave me the confidence to be able to say, you know what, let's go day one. So I was able to select the right ER partner at the time me in position i didn't have any credit to get any loans whatsoever and i was actually you know february 2010 i started prosource it and within 30 days i had a paycheck you know um I'm, you know obviously a strictly basically i was a strict commission salesperson doing everything myself i wind up you know getting a couple placements and wind up making some money and that was immediate relief and this by june i was already we were thriving already and you have no overhead and you're working out of your house and you're doing really well. And all of a sudden it went from being insolvent to figuring out what to pay, right. To having more money than you know what to do with. And it, you know so that, that pain that I went through was very temporary, but I was very, um, I was very grateful for it. And you don't forget that pain that you went through. That's what keeps your foot on the gas, you know, in entrepreneurship. Right. And you got to just keep on moving. Yeah. You can't get caught up yeah. with, Uh, letting failure kind of suck you back in.
0: Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Look, I've experienced that myself too. You know, those types of, of events, you know, they really make you who you are today. And I'm sure that as an entrepreneur as well, it's something that you always, you know, would Reflect and 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 I'm sure that you will never forget that, and that is something that as an entrepreneur, you will always run as far away as possible from from all those lessons that you learned so that you can implement it to, implement it so that you don't find yourself in that same t- situation that you were it, w- would that say that's accurate for you? That's
1: one hundred percent like I feel like uh, you know I think those lessons were like almost on purpose, right it had to happen in order to have this happen well, right. And I look at, I'm, I relate, I'm a big boxing fanatic and everything. And I look at ProSource was like round two. And I'm able to see the punches coming really clearly. I'm able to see those things and learn how to make adjustments in the fight, you know, in the, you know during the battle. And just because you've seen those problems before and you can see them a mile away, and you just know how to make adjustments and move forward.
0: And what is what, what ended up becoming the business model of ProSource IT for the people that are listening to get it? Oh, that was
1: uh, the best decision I made in business probably day one. I mean, from to record to date was actually just picking an employer record model. So basically employer record is basically what it is, is it takes a great deal of, you know, it's a number of things. One, it's a funding component, right? It's also, there's a tremendous amount of compliance and oversight that needs to happen with temporary workers in the staffing business, right? There's also backtraces and process. It takes about... Maybe nine or different ten, ten to different vendors to do with one what what UR ER does. Also, I didn't have to invest. I couldn't invest. I couldn't afford at the time any type of you know admin support or type of back office support to manage this type of process if I did it internally, right? So UR ER provided that entire turnkey staffing operations infrastructure for me to get started because all my relationships out there were very large enterprise buyers and they required you know very strict very heavy um insurance requirements um i had to pay my contractors on a weekly basis you know being I, had, I couldn't there was no way i had to, just that alone would rule me out right there right all i was able to do with and by leveraging this model was just build relationships and find the talent and i can control that right because i've been in the business for a long time and all and let the EOR do everything else that was supposed to do and they held everything, the oversight, they provided the funding, they paid all the recruiters, excuse me, they paid all the contractors that I had on a weekly basis. And I got paid our profits when our clients were paid. So I was actually in a really good situation. I didn't have to raise any money. I didn't have to go to any credit lines. I didn't have to get any angel loans or any family friend loans or anything. I didn't want to, you know, put that burden on anybody after what I went through, right? That was the biggest breakthrough. That I've learned, and one of the best decisions I tried.
0: And how big is Prosource IT for the for the people that are listening to get an idea? Anything you can share you know, there? Just, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. We, you know, we've been in business now for twelve years. We we hit over twenty five million, and you know, the, our company doesn't have any debt. You know, Prosource IT. The agencies just run great. We have a great, great, great team. Great group of recruiters. an Unbelievable, unbelievable sales team, and uh, and just the business model. It allowed us to, you know, it's a very fluid business. It's, you know, and we offer a lot out the gate compared to other staffing firms just because of the ER model that we have. We're able to offer a lot of, you know, we're able to be the true, you know, people talk about being an advocate for contingent work or, or the extended workforce, but we really are. Like we step up to the plate. We do help them with insurance, not just providing them a vehicle, but actually contributing to their, you know, to the healthcare premium for the worker on their end, right? We also do PTO, which is almost unheard of. You know, we give them paid time off, which is unheard of in the in the extended workforce community, the freelance community. So, you know, we do those things, and that helps us attract talent, retain talent, and you know, it's been you know having those value propositions for workers. It you know it helps our clients in return because our clients, you know, want to retain you know they need the best people and they need to retain the best people, and we offer that.
0: So it seems that now that you had ProSource IT on on a very good track, you it wanted- a little bit more challenge. So now you're actually really in two companies, you know that you're that you're leading. So one is Prosource IT, and the other one is my base pay. So let's talk about my base pay. I mean, at what point does it come into the picture?
1: You know, I was always. I'm just what what the ER business did for me. It was more than just. It, it, you know, I'm a very like passionate person and very loyal person. I just I love the model. I'm so loyal to the model the Euro model for what it did for for Pro Source. But along that journey, I kind of figured out like, man, it could be so much better if they did this or the UR ER would be able to do X and Y and this. So I always had this idea, and you know, my my general my, my attorney that I have for 15 years, um, or more than that now, his name is Pablo Casada. He's just an amazing guy. He saw that whole growth trajectory that happened to Prosource. He helped me negotiate my, you know, you know the contract for the EOR and everything. Um, when I had no money, by the way, he didn't even charge me. He just helped me. Right? He's just that kind of guy. But that was probably the the biggest thing. So when he saw that thing, I said, "Look, I would love. I really would love to do this on my own." And he says, "Well, I I saw it firsthand, and I see what it can do. Let me introduce you to an investor." And that's how it started. So before I went to an investor, though, I got with RCIO at Prosource IT, who's my right hand man and um i got with him about the model and i see everything that we're benefiting today hey, we can do for others we can do for what the er did, what the er did business for pro source we can do for others and give them that freedom give them that you know give them the firepower to be able to scale the business as far as they want to go right and then i met you know Angela alberti who along the years who actually she represented another er that i tried out and she's just an amazing person. And I asked her to come on board. And as one of our co-founders and chief business officers, and we all went locked arms and, you know, we we met with investors and, you know, it was a great, great conversation. Um, to add to that, just a little color to that, I never, I never uh fundraised before in my life. I never had the opportunity, didn't know what to expect. My partner, John has, and it was a wonderful experience. It was great. They were extremely supportive. We had, I think we had four meetings total and they made a, a, a massive financial commitment to us. And more than importantly, they believed in our team. And it's beyond money for me with those guys, right? They believed in us. And again, you go back to my roots. I'm a real passionate guy. I, there's, there's no, Failure is not an option. And what we offer is legit. It's, it's a big value proposition and a very critical piece to a, a staffing success, a staffing company
0: success. Now, four meetings and one agreement. Hey, it's not, not bad at all because typically it takes at least a hundred or more to get <laughs> one or nothing. So Let's I mean, see. you guys were like very lucky there. So so how yeah. do you do the? How did you do the the whole approach uh, with investors? I mean, what, what was that? What was that the process like?
1: You know, I, we took them the journey to the ProSource and what it was able to do. What the what this type of service? What this type of you know? And what it able to do? And how could it be better? And what can we do to help disrupt the that business somewhat? you know, to try to level it up a little, but raise the bar across all ER industries, right? And and a lot of that to do with was a major tech investment, right? A lot of ERs, just, you don't have the visibility of what's going on, you know, like for the staffing company, they don't typically in a lot of other platforms, or if they even have a platform, you don't see the onboarding aspects, you don't know really what's going on. It's a very heavily manual. So we wanted to kind of automate that and let technology address those different areas and give them all the visibility they need to run their staffing organization so they know real-time where time timesheets are approved, what they're not. They have dashboards. I mean, it's the tech is just incredibly um, impressive. And it's not just me because I'm super biased. It's our platform. But every time that we demoed it um, over the last you know year and a half, the feedback right away is just overwhelming and it's, it's we're filled with gratitude about it to hear it. The, the, It's just above and beyond anything they've seen out there in this space.
0: That's incredible. Now, why did you guys choose, let's say the private equity firm versus maybe the venture capital route?
1: You know, um, probably because I would say the relationship, you know, the relationship uh, right away. And they, they were, they were very gracious and everything. They were very genuine and it felt right. And, you know, when you one thing that I learned through the years is you have to follow your instincts and your gut. And it, it was a very genuine, real uh, relationship that, you know, we want to move forward with those guys and they want to contribute to the success outside of just the, the financial commitment.
0: So how much have you guys raised in total?
1: I'm proud to say that we, um, you know, we raised 60 million pre-seed. I, I didn't realize, you know, again, I've never been through it before. And I realized how significant that was until everybody started telling us. Uh, my partner, on the other hand, you know, was saying that, see, that this, is, this doesn't happen normal. But again, I've never done it before. I was just, this is what we need and and why, how, and this is what we're going to do. And just going through the process and the journey with them, they asked a lot of intelligent questions. Very, very smart people. That's another reason, too. It's like, I, you know, the support they provide and the mentorship, too, are the bonuses right that's that's
0: what so, i love about this guy let me see if i got this right uh, Cesar. <laughs> 60 million pre-seed yes sir i mean that's insane i mean i i think that i think that this has been one one of the biggest pre-seeds that i've heard in my entire life sir. and i and i've been you know like uh, you know hearing about these rounds you know left and right you know every day all day for i don't know how long so congratulations so so how do you because i guess that you know, when, when you raise that kind of pre seed it's all about future and possibility. You know? I mean, they're really betting on you. They're betting on on the roadmap. So when it comes to the roadmap, what kind of a strategic roadmap or, or visibility into the journey were you able to give them? And also, how did you give them that so that they could see the picture with the right type of colors that you had in your mind?
1: Yeah, that's, those are really good questions. And uh, I get that feedback all the time, by the way, about the, the, the pre seed commitment the biggest thing that we knew we were going to have a lot of immediate revenue right away. Right. That helps. Obviously that always helps. Right. This was a business like just to kind of give you some results, but maybe not overly giving away too, too, too much. I would say, um, you know, obviously we in 2020 in April, 2020 we we're funded and we were in stealth mode um, building the platform, really quiet, you know, just doing our thing and really, really just learned a tremendous amount there. And then we went to market on March March, 2021, we went live, right? So within 30 days, we had customers immediately. Um, we finished, we closed the year around 33 million. So that helps, right? And we, that was that was actually the numbers that we projected and we actually hit. You know, the market's on our side. The other thing that we want to let them know is that, you know, obviously we have not only myself that has a lot of relationships in that ecosystem, so does, so does my, my two partners. Andrew Alberti is a 10-year veteran of the employer record business, uh, with a tremendous amount of relationships out there and an you know, just kind of a known advocate in this space. And, you know, having her on board is is you know another factor to kind of validate that commitment for us. As mainly market timing as well is on our side, right? Contingent work or extended workforce, we like to call it now, is at its all time high. I mean, right now it's close to tipping Close to fifty percent of the U.S. workforce is contract labor, right? Contract workers, freelancers, which we all like. I a One of my good friends, John Younger, who's he's uh he knows he's everything and everything to do with freelancing. He's a, a contributor for Forbes. He wants me, and I agree with him one hundred percent. We got to call it extended workforce, and that's what they are. It's a very strategic and essential piece of workforce strategy for any company today. And, um, all with all those indicators and with immediate revenue, with, with immediate relationships that we knew about, that gave them the confidence to make that level of commitment because we let them know we, we can take this and we want to compete on a national level right away. And they want us to, they said, we don't want you to hold back. We want you guys to literally, literally compete on a national with the biggest player out there. I want you to feel like you're the tallest person in the room and any room that you go into. And, um, you know, and, and that's been great. That's why I believe they they gave us that level of commitment.
0: So then in terms of um, then, you know, with that amount of pre-seed, I mean, 60 million pre-seed, how do you go then about deploying that? I mean, that's a lot of money at such an early stage. So what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we have, you know, we hired our CFO, great. You know another unbelievable asset to the team. So we help there. You know projections and what we need. Um, but you know the the thing, the heavy lifting in the beginning was the tech and our team, right? And then it takes a great deal of of cash flow to support a contingent you know workforce. So you think payroll, right? It's, it's a huge expense. So right now we're you know we're probably supporting over 50 staffing firms that have you know a lot of contingent workers under their you know, deployed. And we have to make sure that we're funding that payroll on a weekly basis. So it takes a great deal of cash to be able to, to, to continue to grow and take on staffing companies.
0: So, then in, let's, let's talk about now the, the whole vision for this. So imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the mission and vision of My Base Pay is fully realized. What does that world look like? That's such a good question.
1: <laughs> um I believe my base pay is 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 you know just explosive growth. Um, I believe we're you know well over you know in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I believe we're sitting on a potential billion dollar organization you know we're we're, we're the employer the choice of employer record services um in this industry. you know we want to be in the center of retention of the entire workforce ecosystem. that's our goal.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Now, let me say that I put you into a time machine, Cesar, and, and I take you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about perhaps starting a business, you know, maybe, you know, back in 2004. And let's say, you know, I gave you the chance of having a chat with that younger self, that younger Cesar. that was, I was thinking about going at it as an entrepreneur, and you had the opportunity of giving your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be, and why? Given what you know now. Wow,
1: this is a great question, Um Wow, one piece of advice.
0: Yeah, I know I'm making you think. I, I think you're gonna have to eat some chocolate after this interview. It's <laughs> gonna be.
1: Like, I would say it's so hard
0: to give you that one piece of advice because there's so many different things I could give that guy at that age. <laughs> well, let's do this. You, you, I, I, I give you the opportunity of giving one, and then a bonus one.
1: All right. I like that. I like that. And I appreciate that. I would, oh man, um, I would say, um, you know, you gotta know how to make adjustments, you know, uh, you gotta learn how to make adjustments because things are, are, things are going to fail. Things are going to fail. So you got to make adjustments. Um, that's one thing. And you really have to surround yourself around the right team members. That's, probably the, if I had to take, if you you forced me to give one, I would say it's that you have to have the right
0: people in place to help you succeed. I love that. I mean, that's, that's, that's very profound, Cesar. I'm sure that you've had to educate yourself very much when it comes to building a company. Uh, and if you were able to, to, or if you wish you would have read the book sooner that a book that let's say had a really big impact on you and the way that you were viewing how to build and scale a company. what is that book? There's a good book that my
1: that I really read during before we started up again um when we got funded actually um uh, the hard thing about hard things was a really good one for me um by yeah, yeah, that's from Horowitz Ben Horowitz Horowitz, yes, and I love the way. I wish I could meet that guy. You know, I liked his approach. I like his dialogue. I like that he's just very down to earth and it, it was very real. And that was, it, that was probably the perfect timing book at the time for me at that time, start, about to start up this, the, uh, my base
0: band. And what I like about that book is as well, the authenticity. And it reminds yes. me of, of your authenticity too. And the way that you shared, you know, the way that you learned uh, that, that that downturn of events uh, with your first company. And uh, with that level of emotion, I, I think that he does the same thing. And and I'm sure that that's one thing that our listeners are really going to appreciate for, for our conversation today, Cesar. So, so I guess for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: I would say LinkedIn is the the best, easiest form. Uh, our link, my, LinkedIn, uh, uh, my LinkedIn account, um, I always get back to everybody. I kind of have a rule. I try not to never leave anybody hanging.
0: Amazing. I love that, Cesar. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Oh, my.
1: Thank you for having me. It was great and great questions, and, and you're as authentic as they get, man. Thank you very much for the time.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember,